Hey folks, did you know that Card Player Poker offers free legal poker games with no deposit required where the players can win real money? The site is giving away six summer poker prize packages that include a $565 buy-in to the $1 million guaranteed live event in Las Vegas starting June 2nd, 2017, along with $500 for travel expenses. Go to poker.cardplayer.com for your chance to win. Again, that's poker.cardplayer.com for your shot to win a free poker package into a $1 million guaranteed live poker tournament this summer. Poker Stories is an audio series that features casual interviews with some of the game's best players and personalities. Each episode highlights a well-known figure in the poker world and dives deep into their favorite tales both on and off the felt. Once again, it's Poker Stories, brought to you by Card Player. I'm your host, Julio Rodriguez. For those of you keeping track, this is episode number 10, so at least we can say that we hit double digits. Episode number 10 belongs to Nick Schulman, who is widely regarded as one of the top all-around players and regularly competes in some of the biggest cash games around. And although he doesn't play a lot of tournaments these days, he's done quite well in the past, racking up $8.3 million along with a WPT title and two World Series of Poker bracelets. Nick is also crazy good at 10K Deuce to 7 events at the WSOP. Not only did he win it in both 2009 and 2012, but he also finished 5th in 2011, 4th in 2014, and runner-up in 2015. It didn't come up in the interview, but I thought it was some pretty interesting showman trivia that I could pass along. Anyway, here it is. My conversation with Nick Schulman. Uh, we are here with Nick Schulman. Nick, the takeover Schulman. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, you still go by your online moniker ever? You know, when I order coffee in the morning, I go down there, and when they ask for a name, that's... <laughs> no, no. I'm just Nick now. But, uh, yeah, okay. If, if you like it, go for it. <laughs> I'll well, take it. Well, where did the takeover come from? That was my original online name, um, or one of them. Uh, it was a... It just seems like a good handle, you know. I like kind of, I kind of liked it, and uh, yeah, I just, I just went with it. It wasn't like a famous wrestler with that name, or no, it was actually a, a Jay Z song that I liked. Oh, okay. So, you know, I was bumping a little Jay Z at the time, and uh, that's way more respectable. Than yeah. Well, thank you, thank you, you know, from New York. Wrestler. You know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get back to New York, uh, Manhattan. Born and raised. Born and raised in Manhattan. Yep. Um, Pretty, pretty much the heart of kind of New York City for most of my life was, was sort of where I grew up. We moved a, a bit around the city, but Manhattan-based. Yeah, I get, people get the sense that city kids are a little bit more uh, independent than our suburban counterparts. Might be true. I, I don't, I don't, I, I've noticed that just when I meet sort of people from the suburbs or different uh walks of life but it's tough to say because you know when you grow up one way it's what, mm -hmm. it's what you're used to so well i only ask that because uh skipping ahead to high school you you, uh, you dropped out and it you, uh, i heard that it took eight months for your parents to notice it did how is that possible you know what it was i went <laughs> i went to a like a really big public high school mm -hmm. and they just didn't um they didn't really take attendance they they, they kind of they kind of you, you you sort of were just expected to show up the the way they they kept 
dibs on you was just sort of for tests and stuff. So I would show up occasionally for a test. Um, I did just enough to squeak by, but finally they were like, you know, wow, they, 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 it, it caught up to me. Some, <laughs> somewhere my attendance was out there. So I don't really know what happened, but it was a while there where I was, I was pretending that I was going and uh, I, I wasn't. <laughs> uh, so, so you get up in the morning, you get dressed for school. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Bye, Mom. I have a tough yeah. algebra test today. You know. And instead, you go to the pool hall. It's right. I would go to the pool hall. I mean, my parents are, are they're really fucking kind of cool people. So, like, I mean, they, you know, not that the barometer of cool is uh, <laughs> encouraging your kid not to go to school or anything, but I, they, I know they knew a lot of days that I was off to the pool room and, um, they're pretty liberal. I don't know what, I don't know how else to describe it. Like, you know, they kind of, they weren't too too hard on me. Well, let's go back to uh, to, to the early days of high school. Um, what were you getting into? What was your what, what were you uh, all about as a, as a kid? Um, before the billiards took over. Before billiards took over, yeah. I mean, I played trumpet. I got into school for trumpet. I went to a musical high school. Um, wow, trumpet. Yeah, but I was a I was a little trumpet player. How many years? I played from like age. Nine to no, no, more like eleven. I started playing in middle school, and uh, we had a little band, you know, in middle school, and then played until I was about fifteen, sixteen, and when I when I finally, you know, took uh, took pool more seriously. That's about just... what I did with trombone. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I got to high school and I realized this isn't a good look. It kind of is one of those things. It, I mean, you either love it and stick with it, or you sort of, you know, nobody casually plays the trombone. You yeah. either play or you don't. You and know? brass instruments aren't exactly, like, easy to slip into any sort of band, you know? No, no. You know, Unless you want to be in the Mighty Mighty Anybody Boston's. looking for a trombonist? Yeah, right, right. Right, exactly. So, uh, you know, pretty normal, pretty normal kid. I was going to school, you know, fucked around with my friends a little bit. Um... That sort of thing, and then, uh, and then pool really took over my life. I was, I was very into pool. I was serious about that, and um, you know, from there I found poker. Well, I, want, I don't want you to gloss over the the pool aspect of it, uh, because you gotta have some great stories from back then. I heard that you were playing for up to a thousand dollars at just sixteen years old. I was gambling pretty young. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I really kind of, kind of loved. I just love that life, you know, we would all get together every single night, every day. Well, there, who are these there, people you're getting together with? They're just, not other 16-year-olds. No, no, not... I mean, there were some. There was, there was, <laughs> there were some good 16-year-olds who would show up. Some people you led astray. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, no, they were astray before, uh, before I came around. But, mm -hmm. you know, we'd go to the pool room every night. There were a few pool rooms in New York City that were like, you know, the quote-unquote action rooms. Okay. Which means all the... All the sort of tri-state gamblers, especially a few specific nights a, a week, they'd have like a weekly tournament, and all the tri-state kind of pool hustlers and rounders and gamblers would all all show up uh, at once, and it was just a, it was a fun atmosphere where you're trying to match up with people, make games. Match up means sort of negotiate how you're going to play. Mm -hmm. um, I Other assume it's similar to gambling. golf in which, you know, your handicap plays an importance. It is very similar to golf. I think the uh, the handicapping in golf is a little more straightforward. Like if you shoot this, I shoot this. Whereas pool, it's a little more 
arbitrary and, and uh, you know, a very kind of hustly environment, but it was fun. It was fun. And, and for the most part, I just loved to play. I mean, I really loved it. So what was the play back then, like in a tournament? Do you like throw the tournament, look bad on purpose so you could drum <laughs> up action? I never really <laughs> had that one in me, although that is a very common uh, ploy. I kind of... I kind of always tried my best, but you try to have a little gift of gab when it comes to making a game or, or mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you don't always go out there and just try to make a completely fair game. But there's, there's lines and sort of codes that you, that you can or can't cross. You know, going out there to the tournament, like dumping it off, it's just, I mean, I thought about it, believe you know, <laughs> but it's just one of those things. It's, I just love to play too much. I just, I, I couldn't help it. I would try to win. Uh, I, I imagine that uh, once your name gets out there and the reputation gets out there, it becomes a lot more difficult to, uh, to get money. Pretty much, pretty much. I mean, the pool world is, is it's exactly right. I mean, the, the guys who do the best in, in pool gambling kind of stay under the radar. and uh, Use fake names. Fake names? <laughs> I mean, back before, uh, before the internet, there's amazing stories of guys who would move to a town for like six months, you know, pretend to be like an insurance salesman, <laughs> go in there, lose every weekend, small, and then finally get the guy. For <laughs> Finally, the, the scam worked. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so you're playing in these uh, tournaments. Were these organized uh, competitions, or was it more like pool hall junkies, you know? A little bit of both. Um, I've played everywhere from, like, the U.S. Open a few times to weekly sort of tournaments and pool rooms, but they were they were organized. It was just varying degrees of kind of how serious the tournament was, I guess, and what the prizes were, the buy-ins, but, but yeah. What about here in Vegas? Are you a uh, do you ever frequent the rooms around here? I do. I I kind of have fallen out of it recently, but yeah, I'm a regular in the in the pool rooms out here on and off always, you know. It's uh it's nice. I play a lot with Jean Robert, who's a big mm-hmm. big pool buff, his, loves uh, to his play. Billiard table up there. Loves to play beautiful table. I go up there sometimes. We'll knock him around and uh you know my very good friend of mine john hannigan plays as well he's a great pool player um he's in los angeles now but when he comes to town we we saunter down there hit some balls it's great are people around this town scared of you is it hard to get action here you know it's one of those things the people that are scared of me are i'm better than and then the (laughs) the people i'm scared of are quite a bit better than me (laughs) so you're in the back of the pool halls you're eliminated from a tournament and there's there you discover poker that's where it happened. There was a there was a little poker game in in the back, and uh, I was like 16, and I'd already messed around a bit at a uh, at very very close friend of mine uh, named Steve. I was living with, and he had, we had like a little bit of a home game, so I was I was kind of dabbling, but it was more just for fun. And we played a bunch of like, you know, poker games that aren't really I don't even know if they're real games, you know. Uh, what have you? But this was a, a no limit hold'em single table tournament, and I just knew right away I wanted to play. I mean, it just looked like so much fun. Everybody was kind of shooting the shit, having fun. You know, the way the chip sounded, the way the table looked, the actually touching those nice mm-hmm. real cards that you could bend and squeeze up. It was just, it was a lot of fun. And from there, I became uh, just absolutely obsessed with poker. I mean, really, it happened like that. Did you see it right away as an opportunity to supplement your income because perhaps pool not, was drying up? Not in the slightest. I mean, I, I just wanted to to learn the ins and outs, play better. I mean, I, I didn't. Uh, I gave it no thought at all as far as you know any monetary 
compensation or opportunity. I just I just really wanted to play. Do you remember uh, any big wins or losses? Or did you win your first time or lose? I did actually win the the first, It was like a one table sit and go, and I and I won it, which I think was part of the reason. I was like, this is great. You know, the buy That's was just 20. interesting. Everybody I interview, or, okay, 90% of people I interview, they won their first time right. they Right. It makes sense, you know, because you can't really play at all. You're a beginner. And mm-hmm. it's like one of those things when you win, it's like, oh, my God, this was amazing. You yeah. know, and then you keep playing, and then you realize you're not that good. And, and then you either want to get better and stick with it or, or what have you. But I did actually win it. It was funny. There was some, like, kind of serious, uh, you know, it was in Pennsylvania, at this little pool room, and, and there was, you know, I could tell the guys were a little agitated. You know, they were asking me to play heads up. I was like, heads up? I don't even know. You know, just give me my 200, and, uh, you know, sorry, fellas. <laughs> yeah, just imagine if you had lost that night. You might have never played again. Exactly. I might not have. I made I a royal flush on my first ever game. And here you are. Now, I, I, who you knows know? what better job I could have asked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny, John Robert, uh I asked him that question. He said he lost a lot his first time, so... John Robert would say that, yeah. though, you know, it, it fits with <laughs> he, his... Uh... <laughs> he went the other way. Yeah. He, I guess he took the beating and then wanted more. Sure. Um, okay, so you're 17, 18, you're playing online. Uh, it goes well initially, or were you a frequent depositor? It, uh, hmm. it went, it didn't, kind of the initially process for me, I'd say, was like, 16 to 18 mm-hmm. you know i know you're not supposed to be playing online when you're 16 but i was doing like it so you know it's over yeah come catch <laughs> me if you can but that was a, i was playing small very small but i you know i was frequently losing and borrowing you know 25 mm-hmm. bucks from friends trying to run it up what whatever when i by the time i got to 18 and i was playing a lot on ultimate bet i had a really good run there for a while where i, I kind of ran it up um and did quite well uh, for a fairly sustained period of time. Then I hit a bit of a rough patch, partially due to that cheating scandal, unfortunately, where I remember I felt like I, I couldn't win. I, I couldn't, but <laughs> partially due, you know. <laughs> you literally couldn't win. I literally couldn't win. I was like, I just Not cannot. Possible. Yeah, I cannot win this match, man. I don't know what's going on here. But, uh there was oh, that, and then, you know, there was just it, just... it is, it is. It was not too funny at the time. The natural variance of things, and I, and I uh, had a little bit too much gamble in me at the time, for sure. So that, Even in uh, the online days? Yeah, mostly in the online days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all good. Um, so, obviously, we're going to get to the second big tournament you played, but I want to talk about the first one. What was that first 10K? And what was your bankroll at the time to be plopping down 10k with some regularity the first 10k was at foxwoods tournament i played a satellite um had a couple uh you know i had a well i thought you said the uh the world poker finals that you won was the second one. Oh, it was the second oh the like the first tournament i played yeah mm-hmm. that was at uh at the i'm just Borgata. wondering if you felt anything like scared going in who at was at time, your table you know at the time i was i was 21 so i'd really i had a a odd amount of live poker experience for for a 21 year old because from from like 18 to 21 i was just you know i was in the new york poker club scene so Mm -hmm. much i could have been a a a chair in the room you know i was just there every (laughs) night every day kind of grinding and i mean it wasn't the mayfair club but was it it wasn't the mayfair but very similar it was kind of the even some of the Mayfair people would, would frequent these these clubs there were a couple of of clubs like two main ones we'd go and you know the New York scene is is so 
or was rather, I mean, a uh, uh, very vibrant kind of scene. You, you gain a lot of experience, a lot of, uh, even if they're not always the best players, a lot of, a lot of people who can handle themselves pretty well at, at the table, you know, live reads, kind of a little bit of trash talk, this and that. Mm-hmm. So by the time I got... Sounds like East Coast... Kind of an East Coast vibe. I mean, you know how it is. You know, they, uh, yeah, very East Coasty. Um, people would come down even sometimes to the New York clubs from Connecticut, Jersey, even Boston, Philly. I mean, because there was there were, you know, rumored games there, and it's true. We would play like ten twenty five, no limit, or even five ten, no limit. But the games would play quite big, and they were they were sort of juicy. You know, if if you. Uh, if you will. So by the time I got by the time I got to tournaments in Vegas, I really was very comfortable at the table. But sure, playing with you know famous pros or seeing them for the first time, it was interesting. It was exciting. I was nervous, but but excited at the same time. Had you seen rounders at that time? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, how accurate was uh, the the backroom games, the uh, traveling around to find a game? I mean, it, it, you know, somewhat accurate. I mean, it, it, it was, it, it was a pretty realistic depiction, minus the, you know, absurdly overemphasized yeah. mafia, Russian mob kind <laughs> of. I never really, uh, never, never played with a Teddy KGB sorts like in that in that way. Where, Nobody had any you know, Oreo cookie tells. There were no Oreo cookie tells, but you know, Rounder's pretty accurate, honestly. That life of being a New York poker grinder and trying to find games and there were games in queens brooklyn there were games in barbershops restaurants i mean that's really that's really how it was well you said in an interview that you really never aspired to become more than just a new york pro at first i didn't yeah i'm wondering if you wanted to be the kanish guy i you know i didn't (laughs) want to be kanish i wanted to be more the guy that's like it sounds like arrogant, but I, I wanted to be feared in like the New York scene. I wanted to be the best player the in New York. The takeover. I wanted to take over <laughs> the New York scene. Um, and I, I was prideful about being the, the sort of the best player in New York. I'm not saying I was, but, but mm-hmm. that, that was like a nice, nice idea for me. It sounded like a lot of fun. And I, I was competitive, and I, and, I, and I loved to play. I never thought about getting, going to Vegas and at tournaments. I mean, it just... If I can stay in the city, go, go go to the pool room, grind these poker games, and and sort of get my own apartment, you know what I mean? Put a little <laughs> money in my pocket, I'm good. It's it's you know, a lot of ambition there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any like hairy situations that, in those rooms? I've had plenty of hairy situations over the years. I mean, not. I would say slightly more pool hall related, but but definitely, I I, I was I was. Uh, I was there for some altercations that got pretty nasty. Um, that you caused? <laughs> that I didn't cause the the ones that I'm that I'm thinking of, but I have been in a few altercations at the table that I realized, you know, maybe I shouldn't have uh, said anything to this fucking guy. I mean, I don't, you know, like I've realized, like, whoa, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure what I got into here, but you know, you learn how to if you conduct yourself with respect in those spots, usually you're all right. But but I've definitely played with some sort of, you know, unsavory characters over the years and seen my, my share of stuff in there. I mean, underground gambling rings kind of always bring out those, those sorts of uh, situations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we go to Borgata, doesn't go well, and then to Foxwoods. Borgata, I bounced out of there early. Um, 
not sure exactly what happened, but it was just a quick day one bust out. Foxwoods, I went to kind of grind some cash games. Um, buddy urged me to play a satellite. Or not urged me, but, but asked me to play when I played it. Um, and I got the seat. My friend took half of me in the satellite, and, and I just I won the tournament. It was, it was insane. I, I, I didn't even go there really to play the tournament. I was just going to kind of play these mixed games. Um, and that's uh, sort of how it went, yeah. So I was 21 and in Vegas with my card player salary. Yeah. <laughs> and I was excited. <laughs> sure. You're 21 sure. on tour with 2.2 or 1.1, I guess, half of that. Yeah. $1.1 million in your pocket. Yeah. How did it go? It went well. I mean, uh, you know, it went well for the first uh, month or two, maybe even a <laughs> three or four, but but not good. I found a way to kind of kind of blow through that million pretty fast, and it's just one of those things. You know, I wish I could go back and and talk to that, uh, you know, like Morgan Freeman and Shawshank. You know, I wish <laughs> I could go back and talk to him, but <laughs> but I can't. So that's kind of how it went, and uh, you know, life's lessons. So how did it go, though? Was like, it pit gambling, sports betting? There wasn't much pit gambling for me ever. I was always very prideful about not, you know, dusting it off in the pit. I hate that, uh, just for me. I mean, sports betting, yes, because there you're under the illusion that, like, you you know, you're picking winners. I mean, it's the same, it's the same thing, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. But, no, it wasn't even – it was more like an egregious kind of spending – uh, very ambitious investing that did not go my way. A lot of staking, did mm -hmm. a ton of staking in the poker community. And staking, hear that one a lot. Yeah, and uh, you know, th that's that's just the way that staking sort of goes. It's it's a pretty high variance spot, and if you start kind of chasing it and and don't keep an eye on it, it can get away from you, and, and that's sort of what happened. I went back and watched a little bit of your final table from uh, that event. They kind of tried to paint you right away as like the young, aggressive kid, you know, the takeover, right? Um, who was here to shake things up and was playing a completely new style. Uh, but from other interviews I've heard you do, it sounds to me like you were just more playing a contrarian style. You know, it. I try to really like remember. I mean, I mean, I do. I don't think I, I am in tune with quite how aggressive I, I was at the time and, and I, I know I played a bit different than than a lot of the players and, and I definitely was was somewhat on to something for the time um, players today are so good that they make the player I was in 2005 <laughs> look look like a, a complete you know sort of uh, dated uh, you know what what have you so I don't really take it too seriously but but for the time, I was definitely um, hyper-aggressive. Uh, I'd seen a lot of spots online. I had a lot of experience in the New York scene. And, and I noticed that I was almost always, without fail, the most aggressive player at the, at the table, at whatever table I was at in a tournament. And the style was much more effective then. Even blind sort of aggression was mm -hmm. rewarded in a way in that time. If executed... So Rocky, Gus Hansen years. Correct. You know, if executed yeah. accurately and with a, with a good poker sense and, and some reading ability, it was really a very effective style. And that was kind of my style. So uh, when did you make the move from the East Coast to Vegas? I never really actually made... Well, when I was 21, I did, I did move here for a year, kind of mm -hmm. that next year after that tournament. But then I, I've basically predominantly been in New York for 
for the last decade just traveling back and forth. I've only been in Vegas full time for about a year and a half now. Mm-hmm. Before then, I would just sort of travel. And how are you liking the, uh, the shift in lifestyle? I like Vegas a lot, honestly, now that I've gotten a little older and I kind of know sort of the things that I really like to, to kind of do with my time. I, I have a newfound appreciation for living in Vegas. I think for young people who, who come here, you kind of think it should be a certain way. And then, you, you know, you, you realize kind of the things you like to do and the life you like to have. Yeah. And, and uh, I've, I've come to really appreciate Vegas. A little bit more convenient of a city. It's incredibly convenient. Mm-hmm. It can actually be very quiet, which I like. Um, you know, I like that you can get a nice quality meal at any hour. I like that it's it's a fairly health-minded city if you're inclined. You know, a lot of gyms and this and that and, and what have you. It's beautiful. The weather's great. And uh, I love to play. You know, I get to play poker every day at the Bellagio. So, I mean, fuck, man. It's yeah. just, it's nice. I really enjoy it. I'm lucky. Uh, you did a Poker Life interview with uh, Christy Arnett back in the day for Card Player. I think a lot of people were surprised to read about uh, your struggles with anxiety early on. Yeah. Because I'm talking to you, and I, every experience I've had with you, it, you don't seem like somebody who uh, minds being around people. No, you know, it's it's a weird thing. with It, it wasn't, I kind of misspoke a little bit. It just, uh, my struggles were more with like, like I don't feel anxiety in that typical way. Like I don't really get anxious, like... Uh, in social settings or, or when I when I gamble I, or play, I certainly don't feel, mm-hmm. I feel pretty calm, you know. It, it was more more like a manic kind of depression situation where it's sort of anxiety, you know, you, you just, the, these phrases are interchangeable, but it, I, I was more dealing with some, some mental health issues just in general, I think. Uh, well, I know, I mean, I don't think, but, and uh, I think the phrasing of it was a little, you know, off, but but that's basically what it was. So, talking panic attacks? Uh, not so much textbook panic attack. I have had quite a few panic attacks, but they were more like. A, I feel like panic attacks are up these days. Yeah, panic attacks are really last. You know, last season. I mean, we. <laughs> you know, no. I mean, I definitely have had some, but I think they were more tied into sort of a, kind of a, a sort of. Mm, it would be like I would feel sort of suicidal for for a bit. Oh my god! And then I would then I would ha- then I would kind of just go to the hospital to sort of just go, and I, I would kind of feel like I was hyperventilating and stuff. It was more tied into the the kind of depression element of it than like a textbook panic attack, which people mm-hmm. do have. You know, I'm very empathetic towards. It's just that was that wasn't really what I was having. It was more, it was more the, you know, what I just described. And my wife suffers from panic attacks and for her, it's always like a trigger of a thought. Sure. Like she'll be watching history channel and mm-hmm. she'll, she'll read about a civilization wiped out in a volcano or something. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And then she'll start thinking about like that one person who right. nobody remembers. Well, your wife like sounds how like significant a, she is. Your wife sounds like an incredible person, by the way. That's a very sweet kind of uh, the empathy is there but it's also crippling you know it's crippling yeah but that is a very uh you know sweet take on the panic attack i mean it's not it's it's more just like a general kind of malaise of the of the world but you know a lot of these things too we learn about our our bodies and our minds and and i think some of the stuff we do in our daily life if if we have those genetic predispositions or or not even can produce some of these weird 
you know, sensations. And a panic attack in and of itself is, is can be uh, the body's way of protecting you. You know, if mm -hmm. some if some maniac came up to you with a knife, your adrenaline would kick in. You'd be very reactive, and you'd be looking to make a break for it, and you'd be very nervous. And but but yet focused. You know, that sort of fighter flight response. So uh, some people have anxiety issues or, or whatever that they, they kind of get those responses at the wrong times. And, mm -hmm. and you just you just learn about yourself and learn kind of what that means. And, and you can overcome a lot of that stuff. So what keeps you uh, even killed these days? Well, depression wise, I mean, uh, I, for me, it's just big to have structure. Um, that's a huge one for me. And structure I, as a poker player, though. Right. It's tough. You have to make your own. You really do. And you have to uh, you just have to carve out a life for yourself that that makes sense and stay the course uh, even when times are, are really tough, knowing that in the end this behooves you. So I, I wake up very early in the morning. I like to go to sleep at a reasonable hour. I got this dog who's, you know, I mean, Dino, Dino Pure the dog. Fluff. Pure fluff, and uh, it's great for me because I wake up, I get out of the house, and uh, I have all sorts of little projects that I'm doing just to keep myself engaged. One thing that you are doing to keep yourself disengaged is a complete lack of social media. Complete lack of social media, <laughs> right, right. That's true. You want to get a hold of Nick? Too bad. He's <laughs> off the grid. I am off the grid, yeah. I don't like social media. I just, I just don't. I don't, you know? <laughs> 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 it's like, yeah, I don't, uh, I, I do, I, I do understand it. It's just for me, I, I, uh, I really revel in the, in the freedom that I, I kind of have of not being tied into, I don't know, I'm focused. I, don't, I, I, I can't explain it. I don't know. I never explain it well. It's, it's just not for me. I really hate it. It's exhausting. <laughs> it's like, it seems exhausting. There's benefits. There's definitely Certainly. benefits, but... It's exhausting. I'm also the type of person, and this is sort of a cliche thing that people say about social media. You know, I'm not going to say what I had for breakfast. Is, you know, who cares? But <laughs> what did I, you have for I know, breakfast? Right. I haven't had breakfast anyway. yet. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, but but uh, I'm, I'm just not the type of person that ever really has the desire to volunteer something about myself just to, to people like rant. You know, I'm always inclined to think no one gives a fuck. And it's not... It's, it's one of those things. You stay connected to people. It's a mm -hmm. beautiful thing. You know, people care about you. You care about them. And, and, I, and I get it. But it, it's, it's not my nature. It's like I don't, I don't say what I'm doing. I like to ask people what they're doing. You know, I don't really mm -hmm. like to reveal much about what, what's going on with me except for conversations with my closest friends where, mm -hmm. you know, we'll open up about everything. I, I sort of don't get the premise of it. Well, who are your, your closest friends? I know you're, you're big with Johnny World and... Uh... Johnny World's a good friend of mine. My my friend uh, Ilya is you know one of my best friends in the Trencher. world. Uh, Ilya Trencher, yeah. that's the one. My other buddy uh, Hersh and Noah from New York. You know older friends who I don't speak to as much, but are are still around. And then David Oppenheim and Ray D and you know Mike the Hat. <laughs> Mike the Hat. A lot of guys. That's such a, a great lot of guys. It is. I've become very friendly with Crazy Elior lately. In okay. town, grinding these mixed games. You know, got a lot of little buddies here and there. You're lucky. Before we get to the big games, uh, let's let's get to your uh, to your bracelets or just tournament action in general. I mean, you got 8.6 million. You're not you're not completely ignoring tournaments. No, I mean, I I really have for about a year now. I, I have not played a tournament since last World Series. Probably won't play one uh, until the series. Um, 
I'm not totally ignoring uh, ignoring them, but I'm, it's definitely kind of fizzling out for me to becoming primarily a, a cash game player. My heart and soul is playing mixed games. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of what what I love to do. It um, I would say it's my kind of passion right now, and it also makes the most sense for me lifestyle wise. But one day I'd love to have you know in a perfect world. I mean, I'd love to have a. Uh, I always think of Eric Seidel as the, as the baseline <laughs> for a guy who was boss. a great player. And then it's not that he, he wasn't a great player, but he was just sort of one of those great players from the old school. And then all of a sudden you look up and he's like one of the great players of the new school. And it's yeah. like, well, how the fuck did that happen? I mean, well, how, do you, how do you accomplish that at, at his age? And, and just how do you keep your mind so, so flexible and, and adopt new ideas and new approaches so... You know, I, I I really have hopes that I could I could do that one day in no limit tournaments and uh, you know I mean I still I, I still think I can I can get out there and compete but I but I feel myself being a little little outclassed by the top guys right now and and uh, you know that's 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 not why I'm not playing at all I mean I would I would still love to play but it's it's one of those things that with each year that goes by where you're not in no limit tournaments you you still have to like study and take a look at how yeah, people are playing commit. and i do that you have to fully commit and I, i'm doing it kind of from the sidelines like preparing kind of laying in the cut you know ready to get back out there but it just seems to me that there's just so many mixed games it's it's just hard for me to pull the trigger and go to a tournament when i could just play cash you know i just i love it well you brought up Seidel and uh, longevity i'm wondering you know what your plans are for this game uh in your lifetime, do you expect to be there at Doyle's age, still grinding? You know, it's one of these these things that we have to accept. We sort of don't know what poker is going to look like when I'm Doyle's age. It mm-hmm. could be so vastly different that it's not clear. But I hope so. I, I don't think I have the Doyle grind in me um, for, for that long. But I, I hope I'm still involved in poker, and, and I hope that uh, I'm putting a respectable version of myself forth and and you know trying my best to hang in there i mean doyle is is amazing that that could be a once once every hundred years kind of talent and for somebody his age to to do what he's doing i mean it's it's uh it's a cool thing and the thing about doyle that that i find the most impressive is his ability to adapt frequently i mean 82 year olds are are generally pretty (laughs) stuck in their ways you know i mean they, they just are and he's just most thirty-two-year-old. Most thirty-two. I mean, you're looking at one right now, you know. But <laughs> but Doyle is an is just an incredible player. I mean, he he adjusts his game. He he mixes things up, and and is always like a student of the game. Always, and that's my goal, really. Just mm-hmm. always be a student of this game. It's a very beautiful, complex, and uh, misunderstood game. And if you have an idea in January, you might want to revisit it February. So that that just has to be your approach, and it is. It, it leads to kind of massive insecurities in a way, but it's also, I think, it's just the way for me. I think people don't realize how impressive Doyle is until they themselves age a little bit and realize how quickly things go. That's absolutely right. I mean, even in your early 30s, mm-hmm. you're starting to think about your life and this and, and all sorts of things in your 40s. and 50s. I mean, there, there's just, you know, and Doyle has a has a family, he has kids, he was there for, you know, and it's like, it's it's not like he didn't have a full life. I mean... But some people just have that spark at the table, though. Some people sit down at the table and they kind of just know what's going on. You know, the, the, 
the and and I mean a wealth of experience. I mean it, he's run plenty of simulations just at the table. You yeah. know, seeing so many spots, you kind of have a feel. You're sometimes you want to model what your feel is and and take a look at whether it's right or not. But nonetheless, I mean his instincts are are very very good in in most spots at the poker table. It seems to me like you were kind of the first hybrid player. Uh, from the online world, kind of, but still kind of a field player. Um, you say that's accurate? I don't think I'm a... Because you're not doing what the, the, the GTO guys are doing these days and playing strictly based on the uh, the numbers, right? I'm trying to do quite a bit of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I'm a field player. I mean, I, I think I started as a field player, but I think early on I tried to kind of be a student of of the game and, and sort of, you know, like I, like I dropped out of high school, so I didn't have a great foundation in, in math. So when I was like 17 or 18, I just started taking probability and statistics courses just mm-hmm. to, just to sort of verse myself with at least the mathematics of poker. And from there, I, I tried to pick up fragments of game theory and psychology and sort of incorporate it in, into a game. But I'm very enamored by both the scientific aspects of poker and like the philosophical aspects of it and and what have you. So I wouldn't say that I'm a pure feel player, but I do believe very much in feel. And I think it's one of the more underrated aspects of poker, especially in today's day and age where I think that you have such bright minds trying to figure out certain situations certain feel elements have have fallen by the wayside and are, are very very important. You know, it's, I just only bring it up because I happen to watch some of the commentary of the grudge match this weekend between Mike Dentali. I missed Hall. that. I missed that grudge match. How uh, was it? Well, she she kicked his ass. She kicked his ass. She All right, his you ass, know, and Michael. We'll just leave it at that. I mean, everybody gets beat sometimes. You know, you just got to pick yourself <laughs> back did, up. She did hold over him with with a deck, but okay. Um, the commentary was interesting because it was Doug Polk and Sean Deeb. You know, Doug Polk the robot versus Sean Deeb, the field player. Interesting. And Doug was... Nice contrast. Yeah, Doug was basically, you know, and there's, there's no denying Doug's results. He's one of the mm-hmm. best online heads-up players in the world, mm-hmm. no doubt. But he was basically throwing feel out the window and saying, live reads are garbage, you know, don't rely on them, doesn't make any sense. Uh, I'm wondering how you feel about that these days. I mean, Because in Bobby's room, I mean... I don't know if do that's... Do reads even come into play? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know if that's uh, not to say you're you're misquoting him. I'm sure you're not. I don't know how you could say live reads. I probably are, am. <laughs> I mean, I no. I mean, well, live reads are garbage. In what sense? If you have an accurate live read, if you mm-hmm. know someone is bluffing, uh, how? I think can, you just said it was dangerous to rely on live reads. You know, you need to have a a, a, a strong foundation in in poker theory. You need to understand. Uh, kind of just the science of the game and, and, and what, what, we're, what we're really trying to accomplish here, especially in a, in a, in a heads-up realm where, as we, as we have seen, you know, that, that computer didn't have any live reads either and beat the brightest minds in the world recently. So, so a lot of what Doug is saying is, is accurate. I think he's an amazing theorist, and uh, I really enjoy the, the content mm-hmm. that he's put out. Uh, however... You, if if you're great at live reads, feel free to rely on them because they're stronger than than a, a GTO-based approach. They're stronger than a theory-based approach. If you can look at someone and kind of know, quote unquote, where they're at, 
by all means, that's, that's a massive, massive part of live poker, a very underappreciated part. And I think there's some talent involved in that. And I think that for some people, if it doesn't come that naturally to them or it's something that they haven't gravitated towards, they don't really see wh exactly what they're missing because mm -hmm. they, they simply don't know. And I'm not saying that applies to Doug, but I know for me, when it comes to live poker, live reads are, are an enormous part of my game and my, my approach, and it's, it's something that, that has always kind of been with me. I think that something Doug sort of alluded to, though, that's very important is that that can promote a lot of leaks in your game if you're not careful. Mm -hmm. You have to know when a live read supersedes... Um, what your betting approach, patterns or, betting patterns, yeah. or the way ranges match up, or or you know hands that you wouldn't normally defend, or that really this is kind of a losing proposition in general. Were this online, were these two blank faces, you know, you wouldn't want to proceed in this fashion. But you have to kind of know this live read now weighs into everything. I mean, this this now I now a you could have a much better feel for somebody's range based on the speed they call pre-flop, the, mm -hmm. the, the way they glance at a flop, they're smiling. the way they look back at their cards, <laughs> the huge smile on their face when that eight of diamonds hits. I mean, whatever it is, it's a massive part of live poker, you mm -hmm. know, and it just, it just is, cannot be discounted. Uh, feel free to, to ignore this if this is a big part of your game. Uh, but my boss, Jeff, brought up something. He says he's played a few tournaments with you, and he was always very intrigued by the fact that you cut out your bets and made your bets in a completely different style every time. It's interesting. I don't, wow, I, I didn't... I, I, uh... People don't realize Jeff's paying attention. <laughs> no, I realize Jeff is paying attention. You know, I, definitely. It's, it's one of those things I'm very like... Uh, I, I kind of I like to flow out there. Like I really get sort of... I'm doing a lot of like slippery stuff at the table, you know, <laughs> I try to look weak when I'm strong, I try to look strong when I'm weak. Not only am I, am I very enamored by the, the art of reading my opposition, I like to be a bit deceptive with the, the vibe that I'm giving out to the world um, at the poker table, of course. I think it's a, bit, it's a nice part of, of being a live player. Yeah. So. I don't really consciously think that I about, about doing that, but I, I kind of almost look at live poker as a sport, and I think sometimes it, it, some of it is strategical, and other times it's just sort of a stylistic thing where, you know, I'll slide them in one time, cut them out, <laughs> do the high toss, you know, the the flick. I don't know. But I just never kinda, splash the pot. In my club, I'll <laughs> splash the pot whenever the fuck I please. Uh, no, no, splashing the pot is annoying. <laughs> <laughs> um, so these are some fun ones. Uh, what's the worst bad beat you ever put on anybody? Worst bad beat I ever put on anybody, I'll tell you right now. It was a hand online. I want to get this hand right. This was a really insane hand. The board was deuce 4-4. Four, four. Okay. And this was back in the days where I would often randomly kind of just go all in on a paired board. Uh, Can't call you without the trips. Right in spots where it was very <laughs> unlikely they had that four. It was like a three-bet pot. I happened to have jack six of diamonds. And the board was four, four, deuce, all black. <laughs> and I put like 180 bigs in versus aces and just bang, six, six. It was just... Oh. Uh, 
It was it was the worst beat I ever put on somebody just because of the way they really just trapped me. It just owned me. Yeah, it you was, gotta... We were playing in 2550 No Limit. He was just so eager to felt like he would have put a thousand blinds in there. I know the player quite well. And, is, and he it's, uh, it was... is, he, is he on the streets? No, he's doing well now. Okay, so, so you know? that's good. At yeah. least you didn't break yeah. him. Yeah. No, I didn't break I think I broke him that day, though. You know, it took me. <laughs> it, it was, uh, he, he definitely quit after that hand. That was the most memorable bad beat I put on someone for whatever reason. I like it. Yeah. The nice runner. You could have gone Jack Jack too. I'm just Jack saying. Jack. Hey, don't forget three five, but oh, nonetheless, yeah. six six. <laughs> just Yeah, I was robbing you of your equity. <laughs> um, when you lost that first, you know, million dollars, was that the toughest time in your career? Or have you had worse? <laughs> no, I definitely had a, a much worse one day. I uh you know, I, I don't want to get into too many specifics, but I played a, a fairly well-known um, uh, banker. Andy Beal. You know, I, like you know something Morgan like Stanley. Yeah, right, Mor- me and Morgan hooked up and Bank uh, of America had one of my more unfortunate sessions that day. So that's the most memorable. Mm-hmm. Like, like you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, man, I like it. Um, what about your best? Uh, Degen story, but outside of poker, are you one for big prop bets? Mm, not a huge prop better. Um, I've definitely had some big, sort of on a whim kind of bets. I mean, uh, nothing comes to mind offhand. I'd have to think about them. I've shot some very expensive free throws in my day, <laughs> um, but <laughs> nothing too crazy. Not very clutch when it comes to free throws. Now I'm pretty clutch on the line. I, I I gotta say, you know. I remember uh, it was a big it was a big fad with uh, finding a hoop on tour back in the day. I think the Nod Medic was a part of it. The Nod can shoot, man. Oh well, yeah, Nod, he, he's a basketball player. The sure. Nod can shoot. He, he can play. College. Yeah, yeah. It was up in Canada, so you know well, we don't. But he was he's and not. He's way too large <laughs> to shoot a basketball. No, I don't think he's he got so much touch though for the way. But he's so <laughs> like like big and, mm-hmm. and thick. But he he's he just glides around the court. He's a really good player. Uh, I know you said you don't travel much, but what was your favorite tournament destination? I really enjoyed Monaco just because it was such an interesting experience. You know, it feels ridiculous to be in Monaco. It was uh, it was fun and kind of just just one of these absurd countries most normal people don't don't get a chance to go to. That's you why know? I hated it's, it. Right? I didn't. I wouldn't wanna. I wouldn't wanna go there. But I was like, wow, I'm in Monte Carlo playing yeah. poker. I mean, this is uh, this is unique. Um, the problem is there's really not much more to do there other than gamble and show off your Lamborghini. Correct, and I and I had no Lambo, so, you know, it stuck <laughs> to the gambling. But I, I haven't been around to too many of the, like, good European destinations. I mean, I enjoy playing in London. I remember I had a fond, you good know, Indian some fond food. memories. Very good Indian food. I, I, I had a lot of Indian food in London. San Remo was nice, and as far as the States, man, I mean, I, I just... Nothing for me beats a beats a tournament in Bellagio. I love the way they run it. I love that five levels a day. You're done at eight thirty. Go yeah. get a bite to eat. So, I mean, for me, just the Bell. It's just it's my favorite place to play. Is there anything on your bucket list that you that you want to try? It's a lot of the European stops. I just I don't you know I don't know specifically, but Barcelona, Prague, all of those like come to mind. Maybe make it make it a vacation. Exactly. Part poker, part vacation, for sure. Uh, who's the best poker player we've never heard of? The best poker player you've never heard of? But it's got to be Mike the Hat. 
Michael Glick, <laughs> this guy I play with in, in the high stakes games. I mean, I know any poker player this has heard of him. This is crazy Mike, right? This is not crazy Mike, okay. no. He is the worst poker player everyone has heard of. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, Mike, you know, he's just a fantastic world-class mm-hmm. player, and he doesn't really play tournaments. Um, so a lot of people have never heard of him, but he's, he's when it comes to the mixed games, you know, he is just a great player. Uh, can you talk about the biggest pot you've ever won or lost? Yeah, I mean, uh, taking that, that match aside versus that banker where every pot was absurd, like let's take like normal poker games. Hmm, I'd have to think about that a little bit. I know I, I won a, about a six or $700,000 pot, no limit. Ooh. It was actually in New York, which is, you know, that, I mean, I don't even really know how, how much I can expound on that, but it was in a game in New York years ago. And that's what happened. I mean, I just I had kings and got it in preflop versus uh, queen ten this suited. Versus queen ten suited. Yes, yes. And uh, you know, you could imagine the player who had that queen ten suited was was a uh, a very creative player. Did he you call know? off? No, no. He put that seventh <laughs> bet in, but you know, I was like, wow, it's happening. He has aces, but there's nothing we could do. I mean, I knew his range was a lot wider than it should be, but I was like, this were you is- able to hold it back when you saw him turn over queen ten? You know, I, I asked him if he wanted to run it twice, and he was like, nope. And I was just like, just please start dealing the cards right now. I just want to get this oh, over you didn't with. you know he had queen 10? No, we flipped him up. Okay. We flipped him up. He was like, he was kind of laughing, and he was just, you know, it was, kinda, <laughs> it, it was uh, uh, you know, it was just one of those things. But Did I was, you have to sweat it? It came 8-9 deuce. So uh. he, he, he immediately flopped. <laughs> You know, nut outs, hit one of his suit, and the turn was a deuce. I was like, okay. That's a little better. Okay. And the river was a four, and uh, it was pretty sweet. I like Big- how you remembered every single card. I remembered too. every card of that one. Uh, you know, the biggest <laughs> pot, one of the biggest pots I lost actually was an amazing, uh, really an amazing thing for me. I was very tired playing three handed. And I, and I had nine seven. On the button, nine seven offsuit, and I raised the button. And what was this? No limit hold'em. Okay. We were playing two four hundred. I raised the button to, to twelve hundred. The small blind uh, called, and the button folded. And the small blind was it was a very sort of curious kind of player. And it came nine nine deuce. He checked. I I overbet the flop. There were some dynamics there, what have you. But but the board on the end read nine nine deuce four five. And he checked on the end, and this bet was relatively normal, corresponding to the pot size. I bet like fifty-five thousand, and he called, and I flipped over the nine-seven. Except I just had Jack four suited. I had had I had had nine-seven the previous hand, or I had Jack three suited rather. I, I don't even know what I had. I don't know if I ever looked at my cards. It I was exhausted. Like you needed a nap. Yes, and uh, I did call it a day there, but that was like the most memorable hand I ever lost. I flipped over the hand, and for a minute, you know, I was—I thought I was—I had lost my mind, and then I kind of pieced it together, like, I, okay. What's crazy is it's not a bad line if he folds. No, no, and and, and he called with ace high, so it was—I it was, I thought I had nine seven pal, well, just so you know. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, when you have your headphones on at the table, what are you listening to? I'm a rap guy for the most part when I when I play. I like to listen to gangster rap or 
I'll switch it up with some like classical from feeling like just because I feel like it's it's supposedly good for you. I don't really enjoy it much at all, but I try to convince myself that I am, you know, but I'm mostly like a, a hardcore gangster rap buff. And that's generally what's what I well, have. Who, bumping who are your in guys there. then? Well, you know, I try to keep up with the young guys. I mean, right now I'm listening to this album from this this rapper, Twenty One Savage. I, I just like, I mean, it just it's just really doing it for me. I like Schoolboy Q a lot lately. I've been I've been, you know, his last album or whatever just has been on kind of a repeat situation since it came out. And I like uh, still, you know, still Biggie and Pac enter the foray. Mm -hmm. uh, I like Method Man a lot. <laughs> You know, I like I like a lot of different rappers. But, I've heard uh, of some of those things you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, I don't want to put any pressure on you to perform your whole set, but somebody told me you're the funniest guy at the table. Is this true? Wow. I mean, I I you know. And the person who said this secondhand talks a lot. Really? Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna say. Who. I, you know, I don't know. I, I, you know, that's subjective humor. I mean, uh, it's hard to say. I'm just okay, well, sort of. Okay, well, who are your who are your comedy guys? What do you what do you go to when you want to laugh? Poker wise? No, no. I just mean in pop culture. What makes you What makes you laugh? Well, I'm a. I mean, I I do love stand up a lot. Mm -hmm. I love uh I love Bill Burr. Okay. I think he's just outstanding. And uh, East Coast guy. I'm a ma yes, yes. I'm a massive, massive George Carlin fan. So I still routinely re revisit uh, Carlin just because, you know, I love George Carlin. And, uh, you know, Louis C.K., I mean, hey, you know, Dave Chappelle. I mean, how can you go wrong with Dave Chappelle and, and, and all, of, all of that? Uh, you ever had a, a regular job before? Not really. I was a... Uh, I was kind of a ticket runner for a really close friend of mine worked at a company called Broadway.com where basically you order Broadway show tickets online and and then they're waiting for you at the uh, at the theater um, and I worked for them for for a summer where I kind of delivered the tickets to the theater and, and <laughs> sort of did some back office stuff there for a few months it's good experience it was uh, it was fun I just I was playing online at the time also and I kind of just started to win a few hands and was like, you know, let me see where this goes. I only ask that because I wonder what you would be doing if it wasn't for poker. I wonder that sometimes myself. I, I really don't know. I don't think that I would have been on a, on a, you know, like a successful career trajectory if it weren't for poker. I'm not saying I wouldn't have carved out something for myself, but I don't know what I would be doing. I could see myself doing a lot of different things and I just think... You know, I, I, I think life is kind of often about what you do when you're not working as opposed to when you are working, so it's hard to say. I got really, really lucky that there was money in poker. It was never about that for me. You know, I just like to keep myself occupied with things I enjoy to do. Ironically, it becomes about the money, sadly, after you enter the world. And yeah. There's no complaints at all that I've made money and I, I, I have this, this nice life, so I, I don't want to, you know, to... To like uh, complain about it, but the truth is that some of the beauty of why you do it gets lost once you start thinking about the money. And, and I think if it weren't for poker, I would just try to find something I like to do and have enough money to kind of get through the day, you know. And then, so I don't know. I have no idea. I still just don't know what I'd be doing if it weren't for poker. But I'm sure I'd have found something. In other sports, uh, when you lose it, you just become a commentator. Right. And, and in poker, you have to do both. 
Right. <laughs> so I want to ask you about, has anybody approached you yet about, about maybe doing some more commentary? Because you're honestly great at the Super High Roller. Well, I really appreciate yeah. that. Um, yeah, we're, we're kind of in talks about it. Um, and I'm just going to kind of see where it goes. But I, I have been uh, approached. I have a, a really good relationship with one, one sort of producer in general, but also just all those guys over there who made that happen. They did such an amazing job from production. And, you know, a lot of that super high roller bowl really is uh, Ali Najad. I mean, he's, as far as commentary, he's just... It's hard to explain how good he is because he's he's so good you almost don't realize because he he just flows like that and, he, yeah, and yeah. he's so but he but he really would just always ask me questions that instead of volunteering a point there he is just like reading my mind almost he's so sharp and perceptive with it all so it's it's so nice to be able to work with someone so experienced like that because I'm gonna say, you I'm know, gonna say you held your own you were very quick yourself so well you know I try but uh, but but that that uh that experience factor and that real professionalism makes it a lot easier <laughs> you know we always end the podcast with a random question that we find online with a random question generator yours came up what website do you visit the most <laughs> oh boy what website do I visit the most uh Mm-hmm. Let's think about this. Okay. It's pro probably would be PinnacleSports.com. Sheer curiosity. Followed by, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the six most popular porn sites. In the no, just kidding. Just kidding. It's, it's, uh, just the, you only need one good porn site. Yeah, you only need one. No, no, not a, not a huge porn buff. I would say Pinnacle. Um, I definitely am visiting Run It Once a lot, you know. Give those guys a little plug. But they deserve it. Um, I've been on Poke site lately, to be honest seeing what that's all about grinding out a little here a little there you know trying to just increase my knowledge and overall wherewithal and i love to play chess i'm on chess.com a lot also you know yeah i see the the chess board out here uh there it is are you uh are you a grandmaster yet i'm not a grandmaster yet but i you don't know. know how the rank <laughs> well they uh they are, there is a ranking system and uh no no i'm not but i love to play labor of love Perfect. Nick, thank you so much for thank having you, me man. here. It was a pleasure. In your high rise, which yes. makes my legs all wobbly looking out the window. Really? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> You're in a house? <laughs> I'm in a house uh, 20 minutes southwest of here. Right on. Hey, you can see the roller coaster from here. You can see the coaster. That's trippy. All yeah. right, Nick, thank you so much. Thanks, man. That was a fun one, right? Thanks again to Nick Schulman, who has no social media whatsoever for me to promote or for you to follow. Don't forget to rate review and subscribe it helps it really does let us know what you think of the show at poker stories at cardplayer.com and you can win a free subscription to the magazine see you next time hey folks did you know that card player poker offers free legal poker games with no deposit required where the players can win real money the site is giving away six summer poker prize packages that include a $565 buy-in to the $1 million guaranteed live event in Las Vegas starting June 2nd, 2017, along with $500 for travel expenses. Go to poker.cardplayer.com for your chance to win.
Again, that's poker.cardplayer.com for your shot to win a free poker package into a $1 million guaranteed live poker tournament this summer.